Today we're going to continue where we have been. Uh, we, you know, we have been going over the different parables and, and so forth. Um, what today we're going to talk about the parable of uh, things new and old. And I'm not sure, you know, your experiences with things new and old. Uh, I uh, um, there's a website uh, that is called oldversion.com that usually provides old software. Uh, different versions because sometimes a new version loses features and, and things like that. And so, you know, sometimes being old is not, is not a bad thing. Uh, uh, we think sometimes newer is better, but I don't know. I, I, I used to have an 88 Volkswagen Fox and an 86 Toyota Tercel. Those things were amazing. Rode them until they died. My Volkswagen Fox, it, 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 the odometer erased twice or reset twice, and that thing was still going. And, and, and so, so it's not a bad thing, but, you know, I want to take you back to a time, it, it was in the mid-90s, I used to be a lifeguard, worked at, at the Jewish Community Center, and uh, the routine for me used to go where I would go to the gym in the morning, then I would work a few hours, but then during lunch for two hours, it was pickup teams for basketball, 10-minute games. And let me tell you this, this was a time years before LeBron James was picked up for, for the NBA. This was when everybody wanted to be like Mike, and I thought I was Michael Jordan. Yes, not tall, dark, and handsome, maybe short, chunky, and pale, but that's okay. The point is that I still thought I could play like Jordan. I mean, I played in high school. It was all good. My speed was great. I had an amazing ability to tell when I played basketball, put my, my hand right on the body, and I could sort of feel where the person is going. So there was no somebody leaving me or breaking my ankles. I thought I was all that until... Started picking up, playing pickup game at noon with some of the older folks at the JCC. And um, we did 10-minute games, old versus young. And I have to tell you this, they ran circles around us. All the five people on my team, we all thought we were Jordan. Nobody wanted to pass the ball. Nobody wanted to assist. It was all about dunking, alley-oops. And I could barely touch the net because I was very tiny. But it doesn't matter. I thought I was Jordan. I thought I was dunking. And I was like, you know what? I'll break their ankles. That's kind of the verbiage we when we play basketball. You know, you're going to go right, but you cut left. And they kind of like, yeah, I did that to you. No, no. These guys would just take their time. They would pass the ball to everybody. They played very selfless. As a team, they communicated. And the young bucks that were playing against them, including me, we just got our behinds whooped. Time after time after time after time. They didn't even worry about trying to outrun us. They just passed the ball around. And we were just all chasing, you know, just trying to. <gasps> and they're just sitting there. It's okay, young buck. It's all good. And, and, and so it was just an amazing thing. And then later on, we started to do a volleyball night. This time I wisened up and I joined their team. And uh, they teach me the importance of, you know, bump, set, spike. Don't try to spike every time. The kids on the other side were just trying to smack the ball. And, and so I learned so much. And I have a lot of respect. And that's when it hit me. Being young... Being able to run circles around people, you cannot outmatch the wisdom that is acquired simply through experience. You can't read it in a book. You can't watch it on TV. I watched many amazing people play, and I couldn't do what I saw. But it was something about the experience, and I learned that wholeheartedly. So I had a new appreciation 
for, for, for things that are experienced, whether it's people or things, whether it's in a game or materials, there's a lot to be said about that. You know, right now we pay a lot of money for handcrafted things and hand-sold things, things done the old-fashioned way because now it's all machines and things. I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. However, not to take away from the new either. Does anybody recognize this on the screen? Yeah? So for the young people, this is like an iPad keyboard thing where you type, ding, and then you have to like reset it, and you keep typing again. There's no spell check, and, and, and autocorrect is not there, and uh, sometimes you have to get like these white strips to try to hide, you know, your typos and try to refix it, and, and the, the ribbon tape will get all bad. And so this is a typewriter. It is the old version of this, you know, which is probably what you use for school. But you know what? I have to tell you. The computing power on the new one versus the old one, a whole lot better. And for me, who I get all my languages mixed up, and I'm not sure how to spell things, it is phenomenal. So there's nothing wrong with new things either. But you have to have respect for both the old and the new. You have to have appreciation for the old and the new. You have to understand that they both complement each other. And sometimes the old ways are better, but sometimes the new ways are better as well. we got to have appreciation for both old and the new. And so today we're going to look at this parable that talks about things new and old. Let us go ahead and pray as we call upon the Lord today. Father God, we come before you, and we just ask, Lord, that right now it is you speaking and not I that you anoint my lips. Lord, pour out your spirit into this place as we open the scriptures and as we look at yet another parable from Jesus. We want to feel your presence. Bless us and keep us right now. In your name we pray. Amen. So here we have a parable, and I'm going to drink a little bit of water, throat's a little dry. Here we have a parable, Matthew 13, and you know, we've gone through Matthew 13, and uh, we talked about how the kingdom of heaven is like, and we talked about anywhere from mustard seeds to nets and all those different things. You guys remember that? If you haven't heard them, we have uh, the, the uh, podcast on, on, on online where you can check it out. But after he finished telling all of his parables, verse 51, Matthew 13, verse 51, Jesus said to them, have you understood all of these things? Because I went back to back to back, giving you one or two verses at a time, and all of these things that the kingdom of heaven is like, have you understood all of these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Beautiful. Now that I told you what the kingdom of heaven is like, let me tell you something else on verse 52. Then he said to them, Therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like. So the previous verses where the kingdom of heaven is like, that, 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 that. Now I'm saying every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things what? New and old. Now in the context, we have an idea that this has to do with scribes and, you know, the Greek work is grammataeo, uh, you know, uh, things that have been written uh, and, and concerning the kingdom of heaven. So these are people that have been instructed. Now, If you study your scriptures, you know that all scripture is what? Given by what? Inspiration of what? Who? 
Uh, right. And the Holy Spirit, right? And so these are men who were led by God, who either saw her, had visions, and they put them out together, and they were instructed. The only section of Scripture that was ever written by the finger of God was what? The Ten Commandments, right? And some may say that in Daniel, when the hand was on the wall, men and men, take care of you farcing, that could be also the finger of God, and maybe that, that was him. That doesn't say, well, maybe it was just an angel, maybe it wasn't God himself. But the point is, is that besides those two portions, everything else was written by men who were led, who were inspired, who were instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven, and it is like one, a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. Many folks believe that this has to do with the written word of God. Remember when we talked about the field before and the hidden treasure, how the field was the scriptures and the treasure therein was a gospel message. So many folks believe that this is what this is pertaining to. Now here is... Uh, a passage from Christ's Object Lesson, page 126. Page, uh, Christ's Object Lesson, page 126 says, But it is the written word that a knowledge, it is in the written word that a knowledge of God is most clearly revealed to fallen men. This is the treasure house of the unsearchable riches of Christ. The word of God includes the scriptures of the Old Testament as well as the what? As well as the new. One is not complete. One is not complete without the other. Christ declared that the truths of the Old Testament are as valuable as those of the what? As those of the new. And so here it is. Bringing out treasures, out of his treasure, both things new and old. Now, I have some people, and I don't know if you ran into, when they study the Bible, whether it's uh, family members or people from different denominations, etc., that they believe in the Old Testament, but they do not believe the New Testament. They say, you know, we follow the old, but we don't follow the new. And, you know, I struggle with that, especially, you know, I, I, I grew up or I worked for a long time at the Jewish Community Center. And, and, you know, I struggle when you hear the rabbi speaking so eloquently about the Messiah spoken of in the scriptures. But it's like, didn't you guys see that that is fulfilled in the life of Jesus? I mean, how did you miss that at all? I mean, look at some passages here um, in, in the scriptures. Uh, Luke 24, 27. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. It says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, meaning Jesus, expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he's sitting there. Look, you see? That's about me. Look, look. I did that. Look. It's talking about me. I mean, the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. Scripture reading for today. For if you believe Moses, you will believe me. For he wrote about me. Verse 47. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so here is the thing. Um, some of you know I went to Iceland last year in, in June, July. And uh, we, we, we went backpacking. We climbed nine different mountains. We did different things. But then we had two days left before our flight out. So we hit what is called the Golden Circle of Iceland, where you go through different waterfalls and, and, and volca volcano tunnels, lava tunnels. And then there's a spot there where they have a geyser. And so my friend and I who are there, I'm getting the camera ready, and we're just waiting for this thing to just, just do its thing, you know, do what geysers do, just, you know. And so we're looking and looking, and then we start talking, hey, do you see that over there? Do you see that? And then it shoots, and it's like, oh, I missed it. It took me like five tries 
before I could finally get a photo of the geyser that I was waiting. You know that if you read the Old Testament only and you're looking forward to the Messiah and then you didn't recognize that the Messiah was already here, that the Messiah had come, you miss it all together. I mean, do you know what that's like? You're reading it, you're expecting it, but you're saying, yes, yes, oh, but I don't believe in that stuff in the new. You can't do that. Those things spoke of him and it pointed towards him. Some people say the other way around. Well, I believe in the New Testament, but that Old Testament stuff, that was all done away with with Jesus. It's, it's nice to know and stuff, but it's just like, you know, your third grade history project. You've been out of third grade. Who cares now? It doesn't matter what you got. It's already done and over with. It doesn't matter. But look what it says in John five thirty nine: You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And then he says, and these are they which testify of me. The Old Testament points to Jesus. You cannot do New Testament without the Old because you're never going to get a clearer picture. We, um, during our time away this week, we went and hung out with uh, my wife's cousin. And, you know, my wife's cousin, they're like sisters. They, they live together from time to time and, and, and you know, uh, just back and forth and back and forth. And my wife and her, now I've been with my wife over a decade, but still they have some inside jokes that I have no idea what they're talking about. And sometimes they just look at each other and just say one word and then they're giggling. And everybody else on the table is like, I am missing this all together. Don't you know that the New Testament without the old is like there's some big insight joke except that it's about life and death and you just don't get it and you just miss it? I mean, we've been studying the book of Revelation during, during our Bible study. I know some of you uh, probably are not getting a chance to come out here. If you can, join us. We do have one more left next week and then we'll start a new lesson. But man, come and join us at 930. We got classes for our young kids through collegiates and, and through adults. And, and so it would be nice to have you here. You've been studying deeply, but don't you know that in the book of Revelation, the majority of the writings on there are referencing other, te- uh, other books in the Bible and a lot of the Old Testament as well. And so it's hard for you to get a picture uh, of the new without understanding the old. It's hard for you to understand this. Don't you know that even though it was written in Greek, the people that wrote it thought in Hebrew? You know, I, I translate sometimes and... Um, it is very weird to translate stuff from English to Spanish or any other language because there are some things we say in English. It doesn't make sense in another language. Just plain and simple. It just does not make sense at all. And sometimes vice versa. Like if I were to say right now, I'm going to go over Patrick's house in Spanish. I'm going to go over Patrick's house. Why in the world will you do such a thing? Because you're translating over in a different way. And so you just don't get it. Or if I were to, you know, 30 years from now, you know, tell people, oh, yeah, when I first saw my wife and I saw her wearing it, just like, oh, you look bad. You know, my great-grandkids are going to be like, why do you wear so mean to, to, to grandma? Well, no, no, back in the day, that was cool. You know, you look good. Carol, you look bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because they, they don't understand it. So how do you expect to understand the new unless you experience the old? The Old Testament is very crucial. It's very important. And sometimes when we look at the news, like, I don't get it. Read the old. And say, ah. Ah. Ooh. And you're able to get that. You are cheating yourself by crippling or by picking and choosing bits and pieces instead of enjoying the wonderful treasures that are found both in the new 
and the old. Christ's object lesson, page 128. It says the following, the Old Testament sheds light upon the new and the new upon the old. Each is a revelation of the glory of God in Christ. Both present truths that will continually reveal new depths of meaning to the earnest seeker. The truth as it is in Jesus can be experienced but never explained. Its heights and breadth and depth past our knowledge. We may task our imagination to the utmost, and then we shall see only dimly the outline, outlines of a love that is unexplainable, that is, a, that is as high as heaven, but that stooped to the earth to stamp the image of God on all mankind. Now, I know that sounds like a mouthful there from, from uh, uh, Christ's object lesson, but here's the thing. Bottom line, I cannot, I cannot, no matter how much I preach here, how many Bible studies I do, I cannot really fully capture in words all that Christ and God and the Holy Spirit are. I cannot capture all of that. This is something that cannot be explained. This is something that has to be experienced. I really thought I had those old people at the JCC down, that I was going to run circles around them and show them all my skills. But it wasn't until I really dealt with their experience, youth versus experience, oh my, I stood no chance whatsoever. Not at all. And unless I had not experienced it myself, I would have never believed it. Not that I see it, I understand. When I do the gym class for the kids here at the school, by the way, we have a church school and we're taking enrollment now. So if you have any kids K through 8, and we're actually doing high school as well, love to have you and we're doing VPK in the upcoming year too. But you know, when I do PE classes with them there, um, I'm always telling them, take your time. Bump, set, spike. Bump, set, spike. Pass it at least four times before you try to shoot the basket. You know, I'm telling them all these things that I have learned and they just don't get it. Perhaps someday they will understand it because everybody so trying to be like Jordan or LeBron or whoever it is, but they just don't get it. You have to experience it. And guess what? Here's the thing. When it comes to Jesus, when it comes to the Word of God, if you only memorize a verse for the Sabbath school or you study just a little bit and you come here, but you really have not dug deep into the Word of God, You really don't understand. You say he's a God of love and mercy, but it doesn't connect for you. You say he is forgiven, but yet you're still feeling guilty about something you asked for forgiveness of for a a decade ago. You you said that he is merciful, but it doesn't hit you just yet. You said that he doesn't judge, but yet you think he's always looking and you're ready to smite you whenever you you do something bad. And, And so you say that he is love, but yet we haven't made that love our own. We tell people, you know, do as I say, not as I do, because off with your head if it were up to me. And, and so isn't it time that we start really experiencing the love of Christ? Isn't it time that we really start experiencing the God of both the New Testament as well as the Old Testament? Look what it says here in John 6, 54 to 63. Now, we're reading a lot here, and it sounds kind of weird. We're talking about eating his body and drinking his blood. But I want you to understand this, the level of consumption of the word of God that needs to take place. John 6, 54 to 63 says the following. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has what? 
eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Verse 55. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. 56. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. He's talking about a relationship and abandoning, abiding in him. Verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live what? Forever. Verse 59, these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60, therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 62, what then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? Verse 63, is it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. I had a little problem with the clicker there, so it wasn't a smooth reading. Please forgive me. I am an ESL student. Uh, for those of you who don't know, that's English to the second language. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is something that many times we don't understand. You got to eat, you got to consume, you got to drink, you got to eat, you got to drink, you got to eat, you got to consume it. This is where it's life. This is where eternal life. Everything that I have here in my words, it is spirit. The spirit gives life. The words that I speak are spirit. They are life. Many a time we say this, we understand this, but we don't really, really grasp it. I ask you, when was the last time you sat through a two-hour movie versus when was the last time you actually read for more than 10 minutes? I have many of you, you know, I'm putting the words on the screen because, we, like I said, we are practicing uh, because hopefully by the end of the year we'll get our streaming going and online we'll have the text there for those who are tuning in and watching online. But this is only for the people who are not sitting in the church. I would still love to get you to turn the pages. There, before we started putting the text on the screen and I would say turn your pages to and when you find it say amen, I will only hear like one or two. And I will wait. Everybody else, look, just read it to me. It's okay. Not even here are you even looking into the scriptures and reading it for yourself. It is so important. There's so much life and there's so much power in the word of God. And yet we don't seem to get it. And don't you understand that in the times that we're living in, now more than ever, we need to know the word of God? I mean, understand this. How was it that Jesus dealt with the devil when he tempted him? The devil said... You know, the devil quoted a scripture to Jesus, and Jesus quoted it right back. Hey, I know what you're saying, but it is also written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. And it is written in X, Y, and Z, and LMNOP. I mean, he quoted the scriptures. The Bible also says that towards the end times, there's going to be many false prophets, many false teachers, even demons will pose as pastors, which is why I tell you that you need to be able to stand on your own two feet and check the word of God for yourself, because I could be misleading you from up here. And if you don't read the word of God, how on earth will you know? 
Because the Bible says that if somebody speaks and they don't speak in accordance to this word, it's because there's no light in them. But if you don't know the word, how will you know where there's any light on that person? Especially in time as this. Revelation 1.3 says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is what? The time is near. Now, this is talking about a specific thing. This is verse 3. Verse 1, it says this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 3, it says, blessed is he who reads. And there's a whole lot in the book that we have been studying. But the time, nonetheless, is near. Plain and simple. The time is near. John 17, 3, in one of the last few recorded prayers of Jesus, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. Not that they know of you, not like you look at the media and the headlines and, you know, little news clippings on, on Facebook or, or, or whatever, you know, nothing like that where you may know something about the president, but do you really know the president? I don't want you to know about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to know about Jesus, the things that we say or how we live because some of us don't live Christ-like. So please don't think that when you look at Christians, you're seeing a good picture of Christ. Understand that. I really want you to experience Jesus. Something that cannot be taught, something that cannot be really heard, is something that you have to experience for yourself. Are you with me? Now, I have to say, that is it for my explanation of this parable. We could wrap it up here, but... I want to share just three comparison verses for you. Three, three, not verses, sections. Three, three little things for you because I want you to really understand the beauty of the old and the new. I had to really control myself not to put a few full chapters and just skip to some highlights because here is the thing. You cannot, you cannot read the word of God and not feel energized and empowered and refreshed and excited about it. You cannot just sit here and eh. Uh, don't you understand that this is one of the books, the only book that people read and lives are transformed? And you got to wonder why. Now, I have read many books. I try to read at least 12 a year. This is my goal. And sometimes I read more. Sometimes I read less. Sometimes they're really long. Sometimes I fall asleep halfway through them. But the Word of God, even though I've read many good ones, there's nothing as amazing as the Word of God. There's so many treasures in both the old and the new, and we don't seem to understand it. When I grew up, remember my nickname, Hijo del Diablo? My family used to tell me, stop doing that, hijo del diablo. Papa Dios castiga, God punishes, and over and over. And I had this image of an evil, mean, punishing God. And then I used to think that the God in the Old Testament was a big meaning, but the Jesus in the New was all love and rainbow and flowers and, and stuff like that. And I thought it was a different thing. But it's because I really didn't study the Old. I just knew about, but I didn't knew Him. So I'm going to show you a couple of things from the new and the old, powerful scriptures. Hebrews 8, 10 through 12. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on before I go to the next page. You know, what is it? Under what? On their heart. Don't you know the promise that God gives us? 
The promise that he gives us that we're not going to not lie because the Bible says thou shalt not lie is because it is a part of who we are and I'm just not a liar. That we're not going to commit adultery, not because the Bible says thou shalt not, but I'm just not an adulterer. It's just not who I am. He promises to put them in our minds and write them on our hearts so that it is now part of who you are and who you are not. I was just given an example this morning in our Sabbath school class with the collegiates over in the fellowship hall of a sermon I heard a while back telling the story of an individual who was struggling with cigarettes and said, hey, for 20 years I have not touched a cigarette. I learned that they were bad for you. I put them down, never touched it. For 20 years I have not touched it, but 20 minutes don't go by where I don't crave one. That's not real freedom. That is not real freedom. When you really experience the Lord, you learn to not even have a taste or a desire for that. Does that make sense? I mean, yeah, it's been 20 years since I have, cheat- I have not cheated on my wife, but it's not five seconds that I go by and I'm like, wow, ooh, ah, yeah. You know, like, like, really? No, no. When you really experience the Lord... He works in you in such a way that he changes you from the inside out. This is, this is the whole thing. The Lord, while man looks at the outside, he looks at the inside and he works from the inside out. We, however, we try to be outside or exterior uh, people, exterior Christians, but yet our insides are rotten. You come in here, you look in the park, but then you're looking at your brothers and sisters with mean thoughts and hatred and evilness, and that is not how it works. The Lord promises to make a covenant with you, a new covenant, which is essentially the original covenant, which is an old covenant because all the new, there it is. And he promised to put them in your mind and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my wife. They shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least of them to the what? To the greatest of them. You know how nice it is that you don't have to preach to people? That you don't have to lecture your family members? That when they see you, they see Christ in you? You don't need to say, know the Lord. You need to say, hey, I have met Christ. And you're just hanging out with me. You're getting a little glimpse of that light that is shining upon me and through me and in me. And you cannot help but experience Christ while hanging out with me. The problem is that some of us get together with our family and the last person they see is Christ in you. Come on now, you can't say amen, say ouch, but it's okay, there's hope, because verse 12 says the following, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Isn't that an amazing scripture from the New Testament? Isn't that wonderful? What a promise, what a blessing. But it is also in the Old Jeremiah 31, 33 to 34. This may sound really familiar, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Wow. The God of the old works exactly the same as the God of the new because he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. That is my God. Another example of the new. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have what? Everlasting life. Right, John 3.16. Many of you know it. You have it by heart. Probably the first scripture that you memorize. You've heard it everywhere. There's songs about it. 
Oh, what a loving God. Don't you know that the God of the old is the same God who sent his son? Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are a gracious, gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. You know, this is a good cousin to John 3.16. I don't know how familiar you are with the scripture uh, there. Because here's the thing. If you read this story, the Lord then sends a little plant to grow by Jonah. And, and, and the plant grows and gives in shade. Then the next day withers and Jonah is all upset. Oh, why? Oh, I wish I were dead. Why is this? And God says to him, why do you have sympathy of a little flower or a little plant that you had nothing to do with? You didn't contribute to it. I made it grow. I made it wither. I took care of all of that. You have compassion of a, a plant. And you cannot have compassion over this people that I sent you to go minister to? And so Jonah said it right there on verse 2. You know what? This is why I went the opposite direction because I knew that if I said to them, you know, to repent, if they would, I knew you were going to forgive them. You're so full of grace and so full of mercy, and I didn't want it to be forgiven. They're just evil, wicked people. They don't deserve it. And I know some of you are going, hmm, but come on. Hasn't that brother or sister showed up in church and you say, ooh, why are they here? Pastor, why are we letting this person show up? Look, the judge... The advocate and the witness is Jesus. The accuser is the devil. I try not to pretend that I'm either one of those two people. I dare not. Plain and simple. But we see the grace of God even in the Old Testament. Last comparison for today. And then we'll wrap it up. Like I said, there was more. But here you have more about the love and the mercy of God. First John 2.1. My little children, these things I write to you. So that you may not what? So that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate. So I don't want you to sin, but if you do, we have an advocate. I'm your advocate. I'm the attorney with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So don't sin, but if you mess up, we have an advocate with the Father, and that is whom? Jesus Christ. You have it there. And then you have my favorite chapter Sometimes I say one of my favorites, but here's my favorite chapter in all of Scripture. And I didn't put it all, but I want for homework, go home and read the whole chapter, whatever version you want. But it is Psalm 103. Let me tell you this. I have done horrible things in my life. You know, I have shared with you in the past about some of my evil genius stuff. You know, if there's anything worse than somebody who thinks evil, it's somebody who's also very bright and thinks evil. I share with you how I got away from, you know, paying for postage when I had a girlfriend back in Puerto Rico when I learned all about how envelopes work. And, you know, if you put the, your address here and the send to address here, but you don't put a stamp, they send it back to sender. So I swapped it around and, and, and managed to mail stuff like that with instructions on how to do that. You know, I, I learned all of these different things that, that I did as a kid, you know, and, and so And so here's the thing. I have had the tendency, since I was a kid, I would get accused of things that I never did. But the stuff that I did do, no one ever knew. 
And so, because I got accused of things that I never did. Look, I had an alibi. It was all good. Everything was fine. In many instances throughout my life, that has been the trend where, you know what? Whatever you're saying, I'm not guilty of that. But, oh, boy, if you only knew what I was really guilty of. And so many a times I have come to Christ and I've had that reality check where it's like, wow, God. What have I done? What am I doing? How am I thinking this way? How is it that, that I get baptized, you know, in 1987, and then in 1988, I'm ready to just fight with everybody and their mother just because they made fun of my shoes, you know, or, or, or whatever the case may be. How do you do that? So from being a kid through adulthood, you know, I'm just sharing with you the rated G ones because, you know, this is not a confessional, and I only confess to God. But, but understand this. There's been many a time that I've run to the reality of, wow. Who am I? How wretched am I? But Psalm 103 shows an image that is not about who I am, but who he is. And he is a mighty God. Psalm 103, verse 3, he forgives all my sins and heals my disease. Because you see, here's the whole thing. Maybe I lose my temper once, and that's okay. But guess what? I can't get over my, my porn addiction, or I can't get over my alcohol or my drug usage, or whatever it is, whatever your vice is. Does that make sense? So there are some things that you say, you know what? I messed up once. It's okay. But what about that disease that you have that is controlling you every day, that you can't stop? He heals all of that. This is who my God is. Verse 8, the Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry. And I love that. Why? Because I keep messing up and he is filled with unfailing love. This is why, as I read here a couple of weeks ago, when he says to you, turn, turn for your evil ways, for why should you die? He is pleading with you, please, son, please, son. This is who my God is. That's Old Testament quote, by the way, even though I don't have it on the screen. Psalm 103, verse 10, he does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Oh, praise God that even though I have done some horrible things, he hasn't given me the punishment I deserve. He is a loving, merciful God. Imagine if you were punished for everything you have done. You know very well you've gotten away with some things. You know very well that you have. And this is the whole thing. This is not a reason for you to go out there living la vida loca and doing whatever you want. But understanding that he loves you and he is slow to anger and he is merciful. He said, look, I love you. I'm dying for you. I've died for you. I'm coming back for you. I'm preparing a mansion so that where I am, you may be there also. So please, please, come on now. The time is at hand. The time is near. It is right there. Turn, turn from your evil ways. For why should you die? Look, I am right here. I am merciful and I am loving, but I'm only delaying my coming, not because I'm a slacker, but because I love you so much that I want to give everyone a chance. Because I know if I would have came last week, the whole church would have been out. But I'm coming this week after you heard this message so that you could give your life to me and consecrate yourself to me. There are so many treasures. These are just three examples of texting the old and in the new that are sharing some wonderful truths about the mighty God that we serve. This is why he said to them concerning every scribe and instructed them concerning the kingdom of heaven. He says it's like a householder who brings out of his treasures, out of his treasure, things new and old. You want to get a total picture of God? Even the scriptures can't fully encompass the love of God, his mercy, his grace, and, and the magnificent God that he is. But it's an amazing place to start. And you can experience him there. So my encouragement to you is don't be afraid to read the Bible 
Don't be afraid to commune daily. Don't be afraid to consume it every moment of your life. I want to encourage you to seek him daily. You seek him, he promised that you will find him. You ask him to reveal himself to you, and he promises to do so. Ask, and you will receive. There's so many treasures there, and you are robbing yourself of the treasure therein, both in the new as well as in the old. And remember one thing if you have not heard anything today. You cannot learn about Christ from a message necessarily or from a few passages that you study for for Sabbath school. It really is by experiencing him totally that you will get as much as possible, as much as our earthly minds can comprehend, the image of God by experiencing Jesus, not just hearing about him. So I encourage you to go and experience Christ. Let him work in you and through you for the benefit of all. Let us go ahead and pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, it is so easy sometimes to just look at key passages. You know, even even in the destruction and the chaos, even in some of those psalms that David wrote, he saw some beautiful psalms, but some other ones were evil, smite my enemy and do this to them and do that. Even in them, we can still learn more about who you are. I take those psalms and I take them to heart because, you know, especially when it comes to my enemy, the Bible says vengeance is yours. There's so many times that I get all crazy and I get all angry. But you know what? Even in all of that, we need to realize who you are. Lord, throughout your scriptures, there's a wonderful treasure, the treasure of Christ Jesus. Throughout your scriptures, there's wonderful lessons, the lessons about who you are. Help us experience you, Father God both in the new and the old. Help us dedicate our lives to you in a way that we get to fully, fully experience you. Not just one hour a week here at church, not just five minutes in the morning, but daily and throughout the day. May you bless us and keep us right now. It is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let everyone here say, Amen.